Hey, podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our Dad's Wisdom series. We're always thrilled to have on the guests that we do and think that there's a lot to learn from the people out there in agriculture. With that being said, if you have someone that you think would be a great candidate for Dad's Wisdom, please, please reach out to us. There's so much knowledge. Uh, We always get great things out of these conversations, and we want to make sure that we're passing that along. So if you know someone that has a great story, someone that's instilled a lot of wisdom in your life, doesn't necessarily have to be a father. It could be mother, brother, aunt, uncle, or just someone in the community that's had an impact on your life. Please reach out to us. We would love to share their story and love to have them on. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ag View Pitch. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Ag View Pitch, and I'm really excited today uh, to be jumping back into the Dad's Wisdom series. It's something that we've received a lot of positive feedback from you all, and you know, the one thing that I want to outline before we jump into the conversation here is looking at the amount of wisdom that's in the community uh, that we can learn not only from each other, but from those who have built the farm operations that we're a part of today, and that's really why we want to do have this discussion on dad's wisdom uh, just to gain some good perspective on on where we've come. So I'm joined with a special guest today. I'm going to let him introduce himself. And, you know, I, there's, there's such a huge amount of information that I think can be learned. Uh, the farming operation uh, that this gentleman beside me has built and the work ethic that he has instilled in his sons in the operation is truly phenomenal. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'd like to introduce our special guest. Uh, yeah, my name is Ron Dykeshorn. I farm in uh, southern Alberta, Canada, and uh, farm with my two boys here. Um, I'm at the age now where I get to kind of turn the reins over a bit to the guys, and uh, um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying farming with with them that's for sure and you get us you get to do the fun stuff you don't have to do all this number stuff all day we're we're up here working on numbers all day and he's like i don't know how you guys do it but you get to go and hop in a tractor and spend time with the grandkids and it's probably been a pretty phenomenal transition there for you it has been uh, although uh, myself and my wife have always paid close attention to numbers and i i think that's very important so I'm glad to see my boys doing it with these guys too. So. Well, you definitely instilled that in them. So, you know, one thing that I, I was hoping we could go over here for a little bit is looking at the history of the farm operation, uh, you know, where we sit today and, and how we got here, I think is a pretty phenomenal story. So I was wondering if you can just give the listeners a little background on that. Yeah, my grandfather came over from the Netherlands as a young man, young single man in 1907. And he stood in line in Lethbridge to get his homestead quarter with a friend that he had met on the ship over here. And uh, he came out and found, found his quarter, and, and that's where it all began. Um, and then he raised a family on, the, on this. Um, well, he kept adding to the homestead uh, slowly uh, through the years, but... He raised a family on this homestead, and uh, uh, my father took over in the 40s, um, and uh, and we were uh, I was raised here along with my three sisters, and uh, um, and then I I raised a family also. So yeah, I'm third generation on this 
on this farm, and my boys are the fourth now. So, And that's very recent history, relatively. You know, we think back 113 years ago, and uh, sometimes in the United States we we, we lose sight of how quickly that change has happened in certain areas, uh, looking at some of the original colonies in the United States and several hundred years ago. And to see that, you know, 113 years ago in 1907, this was expansive prairie, you know, and it's native vegetation to the state. It's still native grasslands in the area. Um, pretty phenomenal, the amount of infrastructure and the change uh, that has been realized over that time when your grandfather came over. He is uh, 21 years old, I believe you said, and, you know, happened to choose the, they chose the ground right next to each other, him and his, him and his friend that he had met on the ship and started families and, and been here ever since. Um, so I was hoping we could maybe talk a little bit, you know, about the history and some of the decisions that were made there. I know during the 1930s, there was an endeavor in, into the dairy. Uh, can you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, being in the 30s and things were tough, uh, my grandfather decided that he should look elsewhere because he had five boys to to uh, who wanted to farm. And so he uh, went out to the Vancouver area and he bought a dairy farm. And for the first couple of years, while they were kind of getting things figured out, my father and my aunt went out there. They were both single at the time and they, they ran the dairy there for, for a couple of years. And then uh, um, three of the other brothers decided to to go out to that area and they bought dairy farms in that area too. And, uh, and my father came back here along with my aunt. She came back also to this area. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting about the story is, you know, your grandfather recognized the need that, you know, maybe something else needed to be done to provide for the family and looking at opportunities that were available there. Uh, it's pretty big to kind of uproot and make a decision to go go farm elsewhere um, just based off of a hunch that it was the right decision. That was huge in those days. That was that was a major uh, a major shift for for all of them to uh, to go that far away looking for for opportunity but that was the kind of man that he was he and in the first place to come across the ocean to settle here he he was definitely a a, a man with uh, who was adventurous and he uh, um, could could take whatever came to him in stride I think and that's how he ended up also going out there to uh, to Vancouver. So what would the operation have looked like, um, and when was it that your father uh, started with the farming, obviously went out there to the dairy? When would he have been back here at this location uh, farming with your grandfather, and what would the size of the operation have been, been like at that point? I believe it was in 41 that he came back from the dairy farm and uh, uh, started farming with my grandfather uh, the size of the farm probably at that time was fairly sizable because um, it was a fairly large family and so my grandpa had done his best to to add acres on um, I think at that time it was around 1200 acres uh, which at that time was they were farming with horses yet yeah, in the 30s um, they had gone to tractors earlier but couldn't afford the fuel, mm-hmm. so they had to go back to the horses. And uh, 
that's a fair amount of land to farm with with horses. Well, and to for a little bit of perspective, we were driving into town last night and is 10 or 12 minute drive and uh, Chet made the comment that looking at the oats were hauled into town by horses, you know, it, it, your grandfather was telling that story about the oats being hauled into town there and just the the amount of work and effort that would have gone into that was truly incredible. It's hard to fathom, I think, for most people today. Yeah, it was one trip a day with uh, 80 bushels in the wagon kind of thing, you know. And So, yeah, it was uh, <clears throat> a whole different time. And, and my dad, of course, was raised in that time. And uh, But he farmed long enough also to see huge changes, probably, well, I shouldn't say bigger than what I've seen, but definitely uh, from horses to GPS is what he saw and he was amazed by that well yeah and who you know who wouldn't be um yeah truly phenomenal so somewhere along the way there about 1951 you came into the picture um and would have joined the operation there about 1970 um and were around your grandfather for a number of years is there anything that uh sticks in your mind that you would have learned from him any any wisdom or just speaking to his character, obviously an incredibly uh, driven and adventurous person. What stands out to you about him? Um, probably, I don't know, humility, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, definitely an underrated uh, attribute, I think, humility is. I yeah. think a lot of successful people that uh, demonstrate that, that trait are liked within the community they raise good families and are ones that have allowed their operations to continue to survive and mm-hmm. and thrive through the generations <clears throat> so looking at you know farming practices we were talking a little bit here offline about some of the significant changes that were made in this area i know originally changing from uh, the native grasslands to then cropping and uh you know some livestock in the area there was a pretty significant change going on through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, and even more so today. Can you give us a little history on how that developed in this area and why some of those decisions were were being made? Well, yeah, in the 70s, the 70s were generally very uh, prosperous. We had, uh, you know, generally pretty good years through the 70s. There was a couple in, of droughts in there. Um, and then... Uh, in the 80s, we uh, started seeing the interest rates go up. Uh, it was very tough times for farms in the 80s uh, with the high interest rates, and there was a lot of foreclosures and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, we had to start looking differently at, at how, we, how we farmed and, uh, yeah, definitely paying attention to the numbers. Is there anything in that time period, um, you know, so you were married in 1980, uh, difficult times going on in the 80s there. Is there anything that you wish, uh, looking back, that you could have done differently? And what do you think, um, after having a number of years to evaluate that, what do you think were some of the best decisions that you would have made in that time frame? To do things differently is, is yeah, to look back and... It was a totally different time, so we, I, um, 
we talked about it a little bit earlier, just the two of us, that there wasn't the equipment available to do what we wanted. Um, uh, some of the, uh, I have some neighbors in this area that are very uh, innovative when it comes to changing equipment to suit what they need. And they were, they were trying a lot of different things at that time to build drills that would seed through a lot of cover and all of that. And so to look back and say, what would I have done different? I think, I think with what we knew at that time, we were just struggling to do the best that we could. Um, yeah, it's, I think that's as far as, uh, um, things that, that we did well was we, we tried to conserve moisture and we knew that, uh, being in this Palliser triangle, triangle that there just isn't an ever an, a real excess of moisture. There might be for a very short, uh, time, but it doesn't last very long. And, uh, you're back looking for moisture for your crops. So you have to conserve every bit that you can. And uh, so that's what we try to do. Mm-hmm. And there's no um, significant amount of subsurface moisture here to where wells can be dug in this area specifically as far as irrigation goes. And, you know, just that, that infrastructure was never really developed. No, there's, uh, there's no opportunity for, uh, for irrigation right in our area even though there is a, a very extensive system just north of us, that water is being used up now in that system. Mm-hmm. So something that was interesting, we were talking about a, a gentleman, Orville Stovall, that was pretty progressive in the thoughts. He had lived through the 1930s and looked at this huge um, you know, impact that the environmental impact that the the Dust Bowl and the era there in the 1930s had. And, you know, you were talking that he vowed never to have bare soil again because there's so much to lose as a result of that. Can you just speak a little bit to some of the lessons that you learned um, from him and uh, maybe some of the wisdom that was passed on just in, in his outlook on things? Yeah, when I started farming, he uh, he was definitely unconventional compared to basically everybody else in in the area and he was my well my closest neighbor as far as land goes and uh, I I kept watching him and and wondering uh, why he did it and and I got to know him uh, really well before he passed and uh, he was a very wise man and so I, I learned a lot about his thinking on on why he did things and uh, he was a very very smart man he he kept track he had he had lots of uh, data that he kept through his whole life uh, which is not what most people did at that time they didn't pay attention to numbers and he really did and so I learned a lot from him and he was maybe considered, you know, you said unconventional or maybe even crazy at the time for some of the things that he was doing, you know, looking at uh, continuous cropping. That wasn't something that was done around here. No, no. And, and, and he, you know, I think he was looked down upon a little bit by people who didn't really know him. And uh, yeah, it was, I really appreciated him. 
No, I think that's awesome. Um, so going back to uh, the 1980s and that time period that you had been farming um, with your father for a decade and started looking at some of the transition process, how did that process go within the operation? And you know, what are some of the lessons that you learned going through that that you might take into uh, that period of your life as you move into the transition there? Yeah, probably the biggest thing is that uh, farming with my dad, he was always open to uh, new ideas, even though it, it wasn't something he wanted to do. But he never, ever uh, stopped me from trying new farming practices or new crops or anything. He was he was very supportive that way. And, and uh, I think it was a good lesson for me with my boys that you have to let, let them... Um, make decisions and and uh, make changes. Um, even though I'm always looking for changes myself, in, if if their uh, idea of, of doing something is different, then you have to allow them to go ahead with that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the majority <laughs> of the time looking at the, the change that the next generation or the younger generation can make, uh, just the familiarity with the technology, uh, the expertise, the, you know, we spoke a little bit about education there. It, as good as the education is today or has been in development in the past, it's huge just to give them the capabilities and the opportunity to um, really put that into use on the farm. Oh, it sure is. And, and uh, our farm has really, really benefited from, from um, all that they have, have learned and, and the uh, technologies have really uh, improved the efficiencies I think on on the farm. Mm -hmm. So as the uh, tillage practices changed in the area moving to less and less impact on the tillage more continuous cropping and pretty much fully moving to that uh, in the 1990s I was wondering if you can uh, speak a little bit to how some new markets may be developed as far as crops and some different opportunities that arose as a result of having that continuous cropping. Yeah, uh, in the 90s, the the uh, lentils and the peas really became um, important, especially to our farm, but to a lot of farms in Western Canada and uh, a whole market um, well, the Indian market for lentils was huge uh, for for many years. Uh, India needed basically all the lentils that we could produce, is what they were telling us. And and uh, well, Western Canada responded and definitely uh, was the major supplier of lentils to India. And peas, they go to. Uh, China and a lot of other countries, um, they also um, are a, a huge market, a new market for us. Eh? Mm-hmm. And how has that changed in recent years here? Has there been new opportunities recently that have that have opened up, or do you see anything on the horizon on that end? Yeah, our, our markets uh, are becoming uh, a lot more political now, and uh, we've been struggling um, uh, especially the last couple of years, it seems like uh, it's hard to predict markets because it is so political. Um, these countries have become better marketers. They've become better at um, 
manipulating the market, I think. And so we, we do have some challenges there. And yet, I think, I think that with all the, the information that's out there, that, you know, we can, we can definitely be ready when there is opportunities. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about how uh, land growth opportunities might have arisen over the years. And, you know, it's almost been a little bit of a, not an exponential growth, but definitely a significant increase um, looking at, at land and the operation here the last couple of decades. You know, how did those opportunities present themselves over time? And and how did you evaluate that decision? What did that look like? And how does land kind of stand today as an opportunity uh, in, in agriculture? Well, most of our opportunities, uh, we've always had the, uh, the philosophy, I guess, that you would, that you try and do better with what you have before you start looking for more. <clears throat> and so most of the opportunities that have come to us have have come to us we haven't gone searching or trying to expand before we're uh, before we're ready and uh, we've had uh, neighbors come to us and and uh, that then then we were ready to uh, to take the opportunity Um, i think uh, that's that's the biggest part of it is that we we weren't we're not uh, aggressively searching out more land but if it comes then it, it usually is it comes at the right time mm-hmm. so. how have land prices changed in this area uh, what what does that look like and do you think there's still opportunity good opportunity uh, to be investing in land at this time actually I think we've peaked I think in the last oh in the last four or five years land prices have gone very, very high. And just in our immediate area, especially, uh, Western Canada, they've gone up uh, substantially also, but this area seems to be um, a fairly hot real estate market. And uh, uh, I think, um, yeah, I might be wrong, but I think it's peaked and it's going to be a struggle uh, for for a while here to uh, to be able to afford these these kind of prices. And just for some perspective, that's because in this area there's been a pretty good run here uh, for a number of years. Maybe not the last couple of years, but a pretty good run here in production and marketing as well, right? Yeah, it's it's part partially that because <laughs> of the good years. It's also because um, there is a fair number of younger fellows wanting to farm in this area and uh, I think that has really driven uh, driven the demand for land mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about that uh, with young young farmers coming back to the operation uh, you've looked at that here the last couple of decades and bringing your boys on or into the farm operation and with that, there came some uh, necessity for expansion, and that's probably what some other people are seeing in the area. How did that look? You know, what was that process like for you? Uh, first of all, having the boys come back into the operation, and what were some of uh, the challenges and the opportunities associated with it? 
Well, the, the, the challenge is uh, when you have a young fella coming back and want, wants to farm is to know how to go about that, how to fit them into your operation and, and, uh, uh, and to sort of give him some responsibility as far as uh, um, <coughs> the running of the operation or buying into it or whatever. But uh, uh, for us, yeah, we, we, the opportunity to expand came about the time that my first son came back. And then ag- again, for my second son, Sam, when he came back, the opportunity arose too. And so I guess that kind of took the pressure off of me a little bit. We, uh, uh, the opportunity arose, so we were able to fit them in pretty nicely, actually. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about how that process has been uh, here in the last 20 years, you know, with them being part of the operation and that, that onboarding and uh, working together? A lot of times family dynamics have a huge impact on the operation there you know what did that look like here no it was it i know i know you you hear a lot of uh horror stories and stuff but i for for whatever reason our operation has enjoyed really enjoyed the expansion and the working together part of it and so um yeah as far as things I would do different, I, I, I wouldn't do anything different because it, it's worked out very well for us. So. Well, then maybe there's some advice there on, on what went well and why you think that went well. You know, what can you share with the listeners out there about why it was a good integration and why you think that it was a successful um, addition to the operation? Probably the biggest biggest part of it is, is to uh, slowly... Um, when a, when a young fella is involved in a uh, operation with dad at the helm kind of thing to start with, uh, you have to uh, start releasing some of the responsibilities, and it's important to to increase that over the years until until they actually uh, take over. And, and then uh, I think like I'm at the point now where uh, I'm enjoying backing off and and watching the decisions that they make and uh, yeah they come to me yet for for help or for for a bit of advice once in a while but for the most part uh, it, it's a it, it's enjoyable <coughs> excuse me it's very enjoyable to see the next generation and what they want to do mm-hmm. with agriculture. So, If you had to think back to uh, some lessons that you learned from, from your father, and we talked a little bit about how he was uh, good with change, you know, accepted the, might not always liked it, but realized the, the necessity that went along with some of this change and innovation. Is there anything else that stands out in your mind um, that your father might have had as advice or wisdom that stuck with you uh, to help you make the decisions that you've made along the way? Yeah, he was that way for sure. He, he definitely allowed me to make my mistakes and, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, to be supportive, uh, even though maybe he didn't buy in totally to some of the, 
the new, um, the no-till and that kind of stuff. He didn't buy in right away, but he was supportive in uh, that he would give me the ability to do whatever I wanted, pretty much anyway. Uh, he also had advice, of course, and I think that's that's what uh, the older generation is there for, to give advice and then go ahead and let them make their decisions, make them make their own mistakes and uh, yeah that's that it that's the way it goes from generation to ge- generation so. is there anything besides that uh, that you've tried to instill uh, into your boys as part of the operation any other any other wisdom or advice that you would want to make sure that they know or to share with others out there um, I'd have to think about that a bit here um, Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Sometimes you just live it and don't think about what it is that you're doing. But, you know, from our perspective, looking at the operation, you've definitely given them the opportunities and given them the education. And, yeah. you know, education is something that we maybe haven't touched on here as much as what you and I talked offline. But I know through the years, you and your wife were always going and uh, educating yourselves in the winter time to make sure that you knew what was going on. You were consistent in the numbers and keeping records and, you know, definitely looks like something that has been passed on to the next generation. Oh yes, definitely. The education, you can't stop learning because there's, especially these days, there's so much information out there. And so it's important to, uh, to keep yourself as, informed as you can mm-hmm. about about anything you're doing and and uh, what you could do kind of thing so no that's great well it must be uh pretty rewarding to watch your boys uh be a part of the farm operation i'd imagine there's a a lot of pride associated with that as there should be and you know for you to be able to continue to work with them today side by side i think is a a, a huge just accomplishment for everyone involved in the family. I, I think that's pretty big. Yeah, and and our faith comes into it too. Um, and I think that's why uh, we don't um, we, we don't have the worries. Um, maybe because of that, because uh, we have a strong faith, and I think that's a big part of it. Maybe the ultimate dad's wisdom learning from our father yeah yeah i think so well that's that's great um you know anything else that you want to add here i've really enjoyed the conversation and again just providing some of this perspective anything else that you'd like to say about your operation or you know how things are today um not really i just yeah i i'm enjoying what i'm doing and uh hope to do it yet for quite a few years if uh, if that's uh, if that's what the future brings to us. So. No, that's great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to discuss this today. Kind of sprung it on you here and yeah. Dad's wisdom, but uh, it's always important to to share these stories and to share this perspective. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. And thank you everyone for listening. We will catch you next time on the Eggview Pitch. 
podcast. If you haven't already, please go over to eggviewsolutions.com and check out the useful tools tab. We've uploaded four different tools that Chris has developed over the years that we think can bring tremendous value to your operation. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page. We're going to be doing a giveaway here soon, and you can't win unless you're following us and like us on Facebook. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will catch you next time on the Eggview Pitch.